Do any, does anybody remember this song? I'll give it a shot. Summertime and the living is easy. Fish are jumping and the cotton is high. Your daddy's rich and your mama's good looking. So hush, little darling, don't you cry. There's nothing like the summer. Oh, just living's easy. You get out on your boat and you just drift along. You know, and you're floating around Cork Harbour. The blue seas and the blue skies. Or like it was yesterday, grey skies and grey seas. And you're drifting around. And it just creates this beautiful image. What it's like to just go through life easy. Ah. You see, drifting along is a great way to live on your holidays. But it's not a great way to live in your life. Because in your life, you don't drift to very many good places when you drift along. When you're just drifting and going with the flow, you're never going to somewhere good. Mark my words. You see, drifting is an interesting concept. So let me give you a definition. Drifting, what does it mean? To drift, it means to be carried along slowly by a current or, of air or water, or to move along, I like this one, to move along without effort or purpose. To move along without effort or purpose. That's a great way to go on your holidays, but it's an awful way to live your life. Because when we drift in life, we think we're not just doing anything, but we are. We're taking an action. It is the action of inaction. Are you with me? Yeah. That lack of attention, that lack of purpose, that lack of direction is in itself an action. Our failure to make a choice about which way we're going to go is a choice itself. Are you with me? Yeah. This in life is a disaster. In faith, it is even worse. Because we drift through all sorts of things in our lives. Sometimes our relationships just drift apart. We can drift in our faith, drift in our careers, drift in our friendships. We can drift in our relationships with our family. We can just get into drift in our finances and just begin to drift away through life. But it's not the life of purpose that God has called you to live. And I want to talk to you this morning about how easy it is to drift. You see, when we're drifting, we think we're just staying still, but that's not actually what's happening. When you choose to drift some current of the culture or some current of your desires or your inclinations is gently pulling you along. How many times have you heard stories of a child who just went out on a little floating raft and the parents turned around and the next thing the child was way out to sea? They just get on a current. Or, do you know, when we drift, what's actually happening is the tides of our thinking, the tides of our company, the tides of the people that we let influence us are actually 
drifting us away from where we would really want to be and where the life is. Benny, this morning I want to talk to you about drifting. What I'm really talking about is drifting in faith. But also, I want to talk about drifting in life. Because I know that in a group of this number of people, as there was in the early service, in the group inside in this hall of this number of people, there are some people for whom today you realize, you know what, I've just been drifting along. I need to find some real direction in my life. I need to find some real purpose. And I want to talk about that this morning. Are your relationships drifting? Are your friendships drifting? Is your marriage drifting? Is your career drifting? Let's talk about drifting today. We're going to start off today with a scripture from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament, because we're Bible people. Would anyone say amen? amen? So we're going to see what the Bible has to say to us about this. In the book of Hebrews in the Bible is a, is a letter that was written to people who became Christians but who were Jews. And those Jews, uh, as over time, began to give up their faith and began to drift back again, pulled by the current of their own culture, pulled by the thinking of their own traditions, began to move away from their Christian faith. And so this whole letter, with all its influences and references, was written to address this one single subject that people were beginning to abandon their faith. I want to look at some of those passages this morning. I want to look at a few verses and a few quotes by some... You'll be surprised who I'll be quoting this morning. I know you will. Anyway, um, I'm going to look at some scriptures and some quotes this morning. But first, I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me? Would you stand with me and pray with me? If you're comfortable with it, would you raise your hands to heaven? It's a demonstration. Because I want to say, Lord, our hearts and our minds and our souls are open to hear your voice today. Okay? Father in heaven... As we stand with our hands lifted high. Lord, and some who are standing here with their hands down low, but they're in their souls, their hands are lifted high. Lord, I pray today, as we begin to look at your word, Lord, that our hearts, our minds, and our souls would be open and attentive to your word to speak to our lives directly in Jesus' name. And God's people say it? Okay, let's have a quick look. Here's, let's begin in Hebrews. Paul is writing... To the early Christians. And this is what he says. He says we must pay careful attention. Therefore to what we've heard. Talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that we don't drift away. For since the message spoken to us through angels. Was a binding message. How would we escape. If we ignore such a great salvation. How are we going to escape if we ignore this? And he spells out what we're ignoring. This salvation, which was announced by the Lord, Jesus, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, the company of those who literally walked with him when he walked in Galilee. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It wasn't a philosophy he's saying to them. It wasn't a theory. It wasn't a new idea. It was a message that had substance and had power. And so therefore we need to pay attention to it. The first substance and power it had was the death and then resurrection of Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. And as a result of his rising from the dead, the world will never be the same again. And then he sent his Holy Spirit. He sent miracles, wonders, signs and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The point he's making is that we must hold on to this. Otherwise we're just going to drift away from it like you drift away, like you drift away from any philosophy. 
Whatever philosophy it is, you just begin to drift away. He says we need to hold on to it because it is substantial. That's my first point. How do we do that? We do that by reminding ourselves of what it is that we believe. By remembering the things, remembering the things that are important in life. And in faith, remembering the things that are important. I want to quote a guy called C.S. Lewis. You may not have heard of him yet. Yeah. Now, I have to tell you now, I'm going to say something about C.S. Lewis, right? If anybody here wants to write a better book than C.S. Lewis, I'm looking forward to reading it. All right? That's one. The other is this. This really bugs me. I live in Ireland. C.S. Lewis is an Irish writer, was an Irish writer. And yet in any list of famous Irish writers, he never shows up. And yet he's probably the best-selling of all Irish writers. Hard to believe, yet he's never on the list. I wonder why. Anyway, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis. So you're just going to have to get used to it. If you don't like C.S. Lewis, this is me. I'm not the guy for you, all right? That's okay. This is what he says. He says, we have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will remain automatically remain alive in our minds. It must be fed. If you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Don't most people simply drift away? Don't they just drift away? All the people that I've known who no, nobody can say, oh, I found a new faith, I've got... No, most people just drift away. They lose their way. They lose the things that are important in their lives. They lose the focus and the attention to detail that we need to have as Christian believers. But it's a curious thing. Everything that's in our minds needs to be reminded and needs to be refreshed. Whether it is mathematics, languages, music, all of these things, repetition, need to be repeated and need to be bedded into our minds. Are you with me? How many people here over the age of, I'm going to go for 40 because that gives you enough time to forget, can remember Pythagoras' theorem? How many people here can remember Pythagoras' theorem? This is brilliant. There was like five or six in the early service. Oh, there's five or six here to you. You got to be sure of any idea. So a handful of us. How many of us can remember Arch Archimedes' law? Archimedes' law? Anybody remember Archimedes' law? Aha, uh -huh, I have you know. One, we've got two who can remember. How many people can remember Archimedes' exception? Aha, uh -huh, there we go. So now we've got, oh, one person remembers Archimedes. Well, bless you. There's one person who knows the word. Why is that? Because I learned about Archimedes' law, and I learned about Pythagoras' theorem, and I learned about sine, cos, tan, square root, bombas. I learned about it all in maths, and I can't remember one bit of it. Why? Because the minute I, I left school, it was like, adios, muchachos, never see you again. I don't want to ever remember mathematics again. What's two and two? I don't care. Because I forgot them. I didn't bed them down into my life. It's the same with languages. How many people have forgotten languages over the year? Why is it that we go through, in Ireland, this is for the Irish, shame on us. Well, why is it that we go through like 14 years of education and every day we're learning on Kupla Fokalas Gwelga, or some Kupla Fokalas Gwelga, on Kupla We're learning the Irish every day, learning the Irish every day, and then we leave school in sixth year and go, I can't remember a thing. Or better still. Music. You see all the bands up there? This is my last example of this. About stuff being put, put into our minds. You see the bands up there? Every one of these lads are practicing. You see there? You see Simon De La Santa. Simon, like, you're like slashed by. It's like Guns N' Roses. It's amazing, like, you know? See Michael, see Michael and Naya there. He's over on the keyboard. Two decks of keyboards. Like, that's showing off, Mike. Like, I mean, honestly, there's like two decks of keyboards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they learn because they repeat and they repeat and they repeat and they repeat and they repeat. And that's how they learn. I have two sons who learn to play the piano at home. And uh, we, we paid for lessons and learn, um, and, uh, and they learned to play the piano. And both of them were really good at playing the piano. But one of them 
the, the older guy, he gave up the piano. He just got fed up with it, didn't want to do the piano anymore. And you know, it was so sad to think of him losing his ability to play the piano because he sat down to the piano recently and he said, I cannot remember a note. And he was a really good piano player. And it was really sad. I nearly cried when I listened to him say, I can't play another note. I nearly cried when I thought about the fees I paid for him, I can tell you that. But, but, but the other guy, my younger son, Rory, he, he played. And he keeps on playing. And now when he sits down at the piano, it's like getting a sound bath in the dining room. Inside in the sunroom at home, it's like, just play the piano, Rory, just play the piano. It's just absolutely beautiful. Because he continued to practice. He continued to put into practice what he had learned. Hello? Yeah? Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine. You are the? Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Hallelujah. If you remain in Jesus, you will produce much fruit. But what does it mean to remain in Jesus? What does, what? What are you talking about? I like the writer, D.M. Lloyd, or the, the preacher, D.M. Lloyd-Jones. Lloyd-Jones said this. He said the word remaining makes people become sentimental. They think of remaining as something passive and cling. But to remain in Christ is to do what he tells you positively. Remaining is a tremendously active thing. Are you with me? It's an active thing. To remain in Christ means to be active in Christ. It means to be active in your faith. So what are the things that make you or help you to remain in Christ? You see, some people do have the notion that it's just kind of, I just have quiet times, I go and have a devotional time, and that's my relationship with God. That is not the full substance of your relationship with God. There is so much more to it than that. That's a bit like saying, I'm married uh, to my wife, Elma, but my, my contribution is sitting on the couch and saying nice things to her. That's not a marriage. Would anyone say amen? amen? You do agree with that, I hope, don't you? All the men are going, that's, that sounds like my marriage, huh? What's wrong with that? That sounds like a great idea. Anyway, so here we go. Let's look at what I call the big ins of remaining. What are the things, the things that are in remaining that make our faith active and real? This is what, here's some. Praying and praising and thanking. That's an ing, it's an action. It's a verb if you're not a native English speaker. It's a verb, it's an action word. We are praying, we are praising, we are thanking God. That is how we are remaining. That, if you will, is the devotional element. What about the intellectual or the mind element? We are reading, we are studying, and we are learning about God and about his word and about his ways. Are you with me? That's all part of remaining. But you see, praying, praising, thanking, Reading, studying, and learning, all of which are very active, only come into their own when we then begin practicing, serving, and giving. Know you with me? So they all feed into each other. Practicing, serving, giving. Another very active thing that we do when we are remaining in our faith. There's the last one. Then we have meeting gathering and fellowshipping. Now, if you happen to be writing a list this morning, of good news, you've just ticked off number four on the list. You're meeting, you're gathering, and fellowshipping. Pat yourself on the back. Well done. You've done one bit of the remaining today. But that is so important to remaining in faith. There is no loners in the kingdom of God. Would anyone say amen? No lone rangers. You need to get and be around God's people because we kind of we kind of knock the edges off each other and we encourage one another and we build one another up and we enthuse one another and we inform one another and we pray for one another. 
that's how we do it. We're built up and that's how we become a community. And that's why remaining is a very active thing. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Peter, he's writing his famous last words. Peter, the Apostle Peter, had been with Jesus. His ultimate fate would be to be crucified upside down outside the city of Rome. That was his ultimate fate. So he knows, he says, the Lord has shown me that I'm going to die. I'm going to go and be with the Lord. And so he's writing this last letter to the Christians and he's telling them what is really important, right? He's telling them what's important and he's telling them what to do. Now, imagine you were writing your famous last words. Imagine you were writing the last words. Imagine that this evening you knew you were saying your last words and giving your last verse, your last advice to the people who love you and around you. If your advice, would your advice be, make sure now you always support Manchester United. Oh dear. No, 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 no. <laughs> Make sure you always support Liverpool. Yes. Yes. If that's your last words, we're going to have a fight afterwards, all right? That's the bottom line of it. Or make sure you spend more time at work and away from your family. That's not good life advice, is it? What would your famous last words be? Because these are Peter's famous last words. Remember, he's going to reveal the most important thing. And here's what he says. He says, God's divine power, his, God's divine power has given us everything we need. I say it to you prophetically this morning. I say it to the person this morning who feels in need this morning. God's power has given you everything you need. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these, through his glory and his goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises. He's given us amazing promises of his faithfulness, of his purpose, of his goodness, of his good intention towards us. Amazing promises. And then he says this. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Add to your faith. Don't just say, oh, I believe. He says, no, add to your faith. Add, do, do more than that. To goodness. He says, add to your faith goodness. And add to goodness, add a bit of knowledge. Learn about what you're talking about. Learning about the life you're living. And then to add, <laughs> add a bit of self-control. Amen. Thanks, Pastor John. <laughs> Let's just take a moment to consider self-control for a minute. Add self-control. Does anybody here need a little bit more self-control? I'm going to put my hand up. Five of us. Nine of us. Eleven of us. Come on. Hands up. Yes. We need a little bit more self. He says, add to it. He says, remember, he's adding by the power of God at work in us. That's really important. To add to that, add perseverance. Perseverance means when you fall down, you get up again. I get knocked down, but I get up again. There's a song coming to mind, but I won't sing it. You get knocked down, and you get up again. That's what you do. That's what it means to persevere. It means to keep going, even despite the troubles and the hassles. And to add to that, godliness. What's godliness? It means just doing good. It means doing good things. It means reflecting God's character in the way that you live. Mutual affection. Let me tell you this. If you're a Christian, and you don't like or love Christians, you're not a Christian. Amen. There you go. You can, we, we'll take it, strip to, the, strip to the waist outside in the courtyard after we fight around. I'm looking forward to this one. You're not a Christian because, uh, John wrote, Beloved, let us love one another, for everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. That's what the Bible says. He who does not love does not know God. 
And to, and to mutual affection, add love. And what the mutual affection is for your brothers and sisters in Christ and your, the people that you're, your, your fellow travelers in the faith, but also then to add love to your neighbors and to spread it a little bit further. So what's he saying? He's saying it's not just faith, it's also you add your effort to it. And that's one of the, it's been one of the things, they've written libraries of books about whether, what is it that actually sees us through in the end? What is it that saves us? What is it that sees us walk the whole walk, as it were, walk and live a life of faith? Is it, is it faith or is it our efforts? Or some people call it good work. So one, one man described it as being like a scissors. And the scissors has two blades in it. One of the blades is faith and the other blade is effort. Now let me ask you a question. Which of these two blades does the cutting? Don't they both do the cutting? No, I'd like a volunteer who's got some loose wearing clothing on them when I do a demonstration. Don't they both do the cutting? One of them, if I say, well, I've only got faith, that's got, and I'm just going to sit here with my faith, that, fine, fine, fine. Or somebody says, I've only, I'm just going to do good. You see, doing good is great, praise God. I put all my effort in, fantastic, wonderful. Faith is wonderful, but they've got to go together if they're going to have any power. Are you with me so far? And I love, he says this, he says this, he goes on to say, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If you have them in increasing measure, you don't have to overthrow the world. You don't have to overthrow empires. You don't have to be amazing all the time. Just these qualities in little increasing measures, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your life. Hallelujah. Do you know what the devil wants you to be? Ineffective and unproductive. He loves those Christians like, I mean, they're like his favorite Christians. If you're an ineffective and unproductive Christian, he has a poster of you on his wall. That's my favorite Christian, he says. That's my favorite one because he does nothing. He never produces anything and he's never effective in his faith. That's my favorite guy. That's the guy I pick. That's who the devil's favorite is. If you want to overthrow the enemy in your life, be effective and be productive. Amen. Amen. Hello? It's really simple. It's really simple. And he wants to get in the way. And you know, for some of us here, being led astray, being drifting away from our faith means that we become ineffective and we become unproductive. We begin to drift away from what's important. Jesus says it to the church of Laodicea. He says, be hot or be cold. But it says you're just lukewarm. Like you don't, you don't even taste nice. You're not even nice. It's not like a hot, nice hot cup of, cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a cup of water or whatever. Or a nice chilly cold drop on the cool days. It's like lukewarm. Do you ever make that mistake of kind of filling a tap or filling a, a glass of water and you've left the warm tap on just before it and you turn on the cold tap and it's like, ah! That's what Jesus is saying. Ah! When he says, you've got a lukewarm faith, you've got a lukewarm life. And the enemy is delighted with you. You don't want to be a friend of the devil, brothers and sisters. Amen. He has no good plan for your life. He has no good purpose for your life. He has no good direction for his life. There was a guy I read every now and again. His name is, hey, let me think, C.S. Lewis. And this is what he said. This is what he said. He said, it doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided the accumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Out into the nothing. Just, just make him useless. Don't leave him in any light. Just shove him away into nothing. What are you doing with your life? Nothing. Hallelujah, says the devil. Out into nothing. I love the way he says, murder is no better than cards if it can do the trick. 
You see, we think it's, oh, imagine you heard tomorrow that Tom murdered his neighbor. Amen. See? <laughs> if you heard that Tom had murdered, you go, I can't believe that. That's just not possible. Like, that's not the Tom I know. It's the Tom I know. It's not the Tom I know. But if you heard that Tom was arrested by the Gardaí for kicking his neighbor's cat for pooing on his lawn, you go, yeah, that's the Tom I know. Yep, that's him. <laughs> Sorry, apologies to any cat lovers here. Um, and we love cats. We love cats. I don't own any cats, but I, my neighbours have cats. I love those cats too. Um, you see, it doesn't have to be some big, spectacular fall. It's the edging away from effectiveness and productiveness. It's just the edging out. It's just the drifting away, away from the light, away from the purpose of God, away from the plan of God, away from being useful in the kingdom of God. That's what he wants. He goes on to say this. Indeed, he says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's a gentle slope, soft underfoot, without any sudden turnings, without any milestones, without any signposts. That's the safest road to hell. The road to hell has no signs on it. You're not going to suddenly wake up one morning and go, Ah, I saw a sign that's telling men go to hell. It doesn't happen. The road to hell is nice and easy. Jesus said it himself. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and many are those, those who find it. But narrow is the way that leads to life and few are those that find it. The road is nice and downhill and you're not going to be disturbed and you're not going to be upset. You're going to drift your way along. It's like one of those country roads you meet deep down in West Cork where you have one road leads into five other roads and you arrive at the junction and there is no sign and all of the roads go to nowhere. That's what the road to hell is like. No signs. However, however, the road to heaven is lit up with signs. If you ask God for a sign, Lord, show me the road to heaven. He will show you a sign. Mark my words. He will show you a sign. Jesus himself said, I am the way. He is the big sign that God has made heaven available to us. But the road to heaven is lit up. The road away from God isn't. It's dark. It moves out into nothing is where it goes. Let me come towards a wrap up. Paul is writing to Timothy, his, his apprentice. The apprentice of Paul was a guy called Timothy. And Paul taught him how to pray, how to read, how to study, how to preach, how to teach, how to live, how to serve, how to give. So all of his giving and all of his learning came from this guy, Paul. All of his in, all of his remaining was from the instruction of this guy, Paul. And Paul writes to him about the experience of some. He said this. He said, cling to your faith in Christ. Cling to it. Cling to it like you are on the wide open sea and it's the only thing that keeps you afloat. Cling to it. Hold on to it. Whatever you do, don't let go of it because you will drown in the storm if you let go of your faith in Christ. That's what he means by clinging. It's a deliberate maritime intention that he is wanting to put on. It's you floating on the sea with only a life boy to keep you. That life boy is your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Are you with me? Cleanses. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. How did they deliberately violate their consciences? Well, 
They knew they should be reading, and they weren't. They knew they should be praying, and they weren't. They knew they should be serving, and they weren't. They knew they should be loving, and they weren't. They knew they should be meeting, and they weren't. And they knew they should be fellowshipping, and they weren't. They were deliberately going against their conscience. And what happens? Their faith has been shipwrecked. Don't be a shipwreck, brothers and Amen. sisters. Don't be a shipwreck. That's not God's purpose yet. God wants so much more for you. But let me give you one last piece of, if you will, one last piece of hope. And this is important. We may drift away from God in our faith and in our thinking and in our lifestyles and in our practices. We may drift away from what is important. But I can tell you this. God does not drift away from his promises. He does not drift away from his promises. The one who promised you is true. That's what the scripture said. The one who promised you does not lie. He will uphold you in the eye of the storm. He will uphold you in the trial. He will be with you in the trouble. He will be with you as you seek to follow him. He does not drift from his promises. Paul writes again to the Hebrews, as I mentioned at the start. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God Amen. to lie. Hallelujah. He's given a promise and an oath. They're unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for him to lie. He goes on to say, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, we can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Hallelujah. Amen. So are you anchored today? Or are you drifting today? Or would you say, Lord, don't let me drift. Let me stay anchored to you. Let me stay connected to you. Let me hold on to you as you hold on to me. Bob Dylan became a Christian back in the 1970s. And he made a fantastic album called Slow Train Coming, which basically celebrated his becoming a Christian. He wrote some amazing songs in, in that album. And when I became a Christian in 1986, I was introduced to Bob Dylan. And one of the songs that he sang on this famous album called Slow Train Coming was a song called I Believe in You. And it's a beautiful song about the trouble that he went through because he became a Christian and how he was rejected by his friends and so on and so forth. But he said, Lord, I still want to continue following you. I still believe in you. And one of the lines that's in it that has spoken to me for the 36 years that I've been a Christian and still speaks to me today, and I have prayed the line of a song. How, how cool is that? I'm praying Bob Dylan songs, man. It's really cool. And anyway, I've prayed this line so often you have no idea how often I've prayed it. This is the simple line I want to lay on you from Bob Dylan. It's don't let me drift too far. Keep me where you are, where I will always be renewed. Does anybody want to pray that prayer? Do you want to pray that prayer? Yeah. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray that prayer. Lads, you're going to, going to go up and play? We're going to pray that prayer. But let me finish off with this verse here. This is from, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes to him, he says, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. What does he want us to be? Strong and immovable. Let's try it together. He's going to be, he wants us to be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nothing you ever do for the Lord is useless. There is a purpose in it. When you are close to him, his purpose fills you. So today, are we going to drift? 
Are we going to let things drift? Maybe in your life a relationship is drifting. You go, Lord, you know, I realized today that I've left that relationship. Will you give me the strength not to drift away in that situation? Maybe it's simply your faith. Say, Lord, I've been drifting. I've been getting caught under all sorts of tides, caught under all sorts of currents. But I want to say today, Lord, I don't want to drift anymore. We're going to pray in a second. But what are you anchored to today? Are you anchored to Jesus? Are you tied? Are you moored? Are you connected with him? When the storm comes, you'll be glad you were. Would anyone say amen?